this is going to be our last week in our Habits of Grace book. And then uh, next week, Rob Pfeiffer is going to be bringing you guys something different for Sunday school. And then uh, two weeks from today, we'll go back to that red book, Dynamic Heart and Daily Life, and work on that for a bit. So I think there are another eight chapters or so, but some of them are kind of long, so it might be somewhere between eight and 10, 10 11 weeks. So I uh, just wanted to give you a kind of a preview of what's coming up. Hopefully this book has been helpful to think about some things. And uh, I wanted to go through the epilogue. Sometimes we get to the epilogue and we're like, we're done with the book, let's skip it and move on. But I thought it had some very helpful and important thoughts for us to consider. Uh, one of those being this idea of a regular routine. Uh, even if we develop a regular routine, there are days when that doesn't work out the way that we think it's going to, right? Uh, so the, the title of this is Communing with Christ on a Crazy Day. Hopefully you're developing your regular routine and go-to habits of grace. Perhaps you've been at this long enough. When the alarm goes off on a normal day, you have your emerging patterns and rhythms. To reset your mind and refill your heart and recalibrate your perspective before diving into the day. But then come those crazy days. How should you think about and engage in, if at all, the means of grace, of Bible meditation and prayer, when God's good but often inconvenient sovereignty has you reeling without your routine? So there's a recognition that we ought to plan. There's a recognition that God's sovereignty often overrules those plans. So he gives four helps. First of all, remember what your habits of grace are about. I ask you this question, can you still commune with God and walk in grace if your routine is interrupted or your plan is cut short? What do you guys think? Okay, so, all right, so there, there's, there's two extremes we, we could go to. One would be, if we don't have any regular habits, it's not going to bother us too much if those are interrupted, Right? So that's one extreme we could go to. The other would be that we're so tied to a specific schedule that we feel like we're bound to sin if that schedule's interrupted. And I think either of those would be, would be bad extremes. And so depending on your personality and what you've been used to and all those sorts of things, uh, we're going to tend toward one of those two extremes. And so the goal would be that we do have regular patterns, that we're not just sort of going through everything in a haphazard kind of way but also that we would not be so ruled by those patterns that they, we feel like things are falling apart when they're not in place. So, for example, he says, Bible meditation is not about checking boxes, but communion with the risen Christ in and through His Word. Walking in His grace today is not dependent on going through your full devotional routine, or any routine for that matter. It is the regular pattern of communion with Christ that is vital not extended time on one particular day. So he's argued that we ought to have patterns, but the pattern itself is not the thing we should be fixated on. Think about what this would have looked like in the life of the early church. I suppose it's possible, we don't really have historical records, so I'm speculating here, but I suppose it's possible that um, Bill the Slave gets up, first thing, on Sunday morning and reads his Bible and prays and all that for two hours. But what's more likely to have happened? First thing in the morning, he gets up and his master saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, or he has all these responsibilities he's supposed to do. 
Could he still connect with God and grow in grace despite all those things? Yes. We live in a unique position of privilege from the perspective that even though we all have work responsibilities or life responsibilities, we have way more free time than people in most of the history of the world have had. So in that respect, there's an issue of stewardship, but that issue of stewardship and the uniqueness of our circumstance should not drive us to a point of overemphasizing the importance of things uh, beyond what we ought. So that leads me to the next question, which is, um, do you need to make up the missed time later? So let's say you're doing a Bible reading plan, and you were looking, you're like, oh, there's three days that aren't checked. You think you are obligated to make up those three passages that you missed, or how, how do you think we should approach that? Okay. Okay, that's probably true for probably true for most of us, right? Um, would there be anything bad with saying, "Hey, it's Saturday. I got a couple extra hours. I'm gonna go back and read some of those passages I missed." Nothing wrong with it, right? But we should not be so bound to it that we have a sense of guilt and and we just keep getting further and further behind because we're trying to make up all those things. When I say all those things, hopefully it's not a ton of stuff, but you know, even a little thing that you keep thinking about and is, is bugging you, that can... So my point is simply to say, if you have time, go back and make those things up. But if you don't, the important thing, like Kelly said, is that you keep moving forward instead of being overwhelmed and frustrated and just giving up on it entirely, right? So maybe, probably not by this point in the year with most Bible reading plans, but maybe you get to some, a passage somewhere in Leviticus and you're like, this is really hard. It's usually when people bail on Bible reading plans, right? You get to Leviticus and you're like, why does it matter that the person wore this kind of clothes? Why does it matter whether they cut their beard square or round? You know, those sorts of things. So, uh, and then you skip a few chapters. My point is, keep going. Don't say I've skipped a few chapters. Uh, I just give up on this for the year. And then he makes another interesting point in this section, which is this idea... Well, let me just ask the question. Will getting through all the steps guarantee a good day for your sanctification? So what are all the steps? Bible reading, uh, prayer, meditation, further study, you know, all those sorts of things. Will though journaling, will all those, if you check off all those boxes, does that automatically mean it's going to be a good day for your spiritual growth? No. Um, we're not saying it's bad to do all those things. It's just sometimes we feel like if I just get everything in order, then everything falls into place. But, but what, are, what important thing are we missing from that way of thinking? Who has to make stuff happen spiritually in our lives? The work of the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, sometimes God's Spirit does a lot of work on us in a particular day, and sometimes He does less. Sometimes there are issues of sin that we need to deal with just as much as we need to do all the right things of uh, connected with these habits. He says this, you can read all the passages, give time to extensive journaling, work on at length on memorizing scripture, and easily move right into a day of walking in your own strength and not dying to selfish interests to anticipate and act to meet the needs of others. In fact, it's likely the days when you feel strongest personally 
and most spiritually accomplished that you're most prone to walk in your own strength rather than by the strength that God supplies. Uh, I taught references 1 Peter 4.11 there. So, do the things that we've been talking about, but not because of the things themselves, because they are part of a relationship with God. Uh, Bob made a, uh, a good point when we were in Brothers at Arms that we have a relationship with God, right? That's the important thing. It's not the, it's not the, the lists and the routines that are the main focus, right? So, um, along those same lines, um, I think he's saying don't be proud. We ought to be humble when we approach these things, right? Because if we're going around saying, I read my Bible, and I know this cool new fact, and I have prayed, and you know what? That guy over there probably didn't. And he probably doesn't know that thing that I learned this morning. What does that sound a lot like? Yeah, remember that story Jesus told? There's the tax collector over in the corner who won't lift his eyes up to heaven. And there's the Pharisee saying, God, I just wish everybody could be almost as good as me. And um, we say, well, I wouldn't say that out loud. But those thoughts creep into our hearts sometimes, right? So establish the routines, but don't let them become the main focus and, do, and stay humble as you follow them. And then the second thing he says is consider the path of love. First of all, why do you need time with God to serve others well? Okay, so it corrects our motivations. What else? Why else do we need time with God before we can best serve other people? Okay, good. What's that? Okay, good. Somebody comes up to you and they say, Hey, I don't know what I should do here. Or, I really need help with this and this is an overwhelming problem. There, there comes a point, um, you know, You've got the orange juice container in the back there. How many cups can you fill before you got to get a new carton, right? And so there is a reality, and, and our world twists this in a selfish way, right? Self-care, take time for yourself, love yourself, you know, these sorts of things. But there's a reality that if we're not replenishing our spiritual reserves, for lack of a better word, in time with God then we're going to hit a point where people are like, I need, I need, I need, and we're like, I can't help you because I need to, you know, that, that sort of thing. So uh, we need to keep that in mind. So that's, I think, an important idea. So we need to spend time with God. What about this second question? Is it more loving to get away from people for a long time with God or to get with people and minister to them? Yeah, both. How do we know when, which one we need to do to show love? <laughs> okay, but, but what are some practical hints? Like, how do you know 
that you probably need to go spend some time alone with God. Okay? Yeah, you start getting angry at people over little things. What else? Okay. When you have a sense of being emotionally and physically drained, those are probably times when you need to spend time with God. I mean, admittedly, there are also times somewhere in there where you need to get sleep and things like that, but, but those are times when you potentially need to go spend time with God. How do you know when you need to go spend time with other people? Okay. So, so what might that look like? You're having this great spiritual experience, reading your Bible, and praying to God, and then one of your kids needs something, your neighbor calls you, someone knocks on your door, and you're like, you know, this is the time that I'm doing this thing for me with God. How dare you intrude on... No, I mean, if we start to have that attitude, then that's probably a check to our hearts, you know? All right, I need to, I need to come over here and I need to minister to other people. So... This, uh, this sort of balance is true in the life of the church as well, right? We gather regularly to look at God's Word together, have a time of fellowship, all those sorts of things. But if we're not then going from here and doing ministry outside of here, then what God has intended for us to do is being cut short, right? Because... It's not, if, if we just sort of come and, and soak in truth and be encouraged ourselves, but we don't share it with other people. Think about, um, who was it? Was it uh, Peter? He encounters Jesus in the first chapters, two of John there. And what does he do? He goes and finds his brother. Hey, you need this too, Right? So we ought to have that same sort of attitude. I've gotten some sort of insight or been reminded of something I've heard 50 times before on Sunday at church, on Wednesday at church, or even just reading through my Bible. How are you drawing other people around you into that? It's not just for you, right? And so that's what he's emphasizing there. Love both means taking time to prepare to minister to others. Sometimes it means getting away from others and and spending time with God. Sometimes it means being with people. He says, at other times, the path of love is dying to our desires for personal time alone, even in such good things as Bible meditation and prayer, to give attention to the toddler who's sick or woke up early, to prepare and serve breakfast to family from out of town, or to assist a spouse or friend having their own crazy morning. So, consider the path of love. Thirdly, he says, develop a morning routine that is adaptable. We didn't really develop too far the idea of uh, morning routine just for sake of time last week. But he was arguing with regard to how we use our time. Uh, this idea that, all right, let me just see how he worded it here. Make the most of your mornings. So we didn't really get into a discussion too much of is there a biblical mandate that the best things of your day happen in the morning? No. I mean, some of that, I think, depends on who you are, right? <laughs> yeah. There's instruction in the example yeah. that people say, first thing in the morning, 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, an interesting thought might be um, how much of how much of that was was restricted or tied to I don't know if you call them advantages, but differences at the very least, in terms of we have a lot more flexibility with things like electricity and running water and all those sorts of things to do things at different times throughout the day. So my point in saying that is simply to say um, we need to make the most of whatever times we have and sometimes that's late at night for some people when it's quiet, sometimes that's first thing in the morning when it's quiet. The point is we need to make the most of our time but when you have a routine, and I think it's probably a good idea to try to start the day. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad thing to start the day and end the day with reflecting on God, right? So with regard to that, try to create a routine that can expand into more than an hour if you have it, or collapse into just 10 minutes even less when love requires it. So then he gives an example of what this might look like. Um, so maybe here's a simple pattern. Begin with Bible reading, move into meditation, polish with prayer. If you have more time, what other things can you add in? Uh, you can read more. You can meditate longer. You can include journaling. You can memorize a passage. You can spend a longer time in prayer covering all the categories that he gives, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So, if you have a short period of time, what might that look like? As far as the Bible reading part, what, what could you do? Okay, good. There have been somewhat uh, unhelpful recommendations in the past that maybe like, if you don't have time, flip your Bible open, point to a verse, that's your verse for the day. That's not really the goal of what we're trying to get to. If you can pick a short section so that we're not um, misusing the text or ripping it out of what it's saying, you know, three, four verses, something Paul wrote in one of his letters, maybe one of the shorter psalms, probably not 119, maybe one of the shorter psalms, right? Because there's some, like the one we looked at on Wednesday night, what was it, seven verses? You can read seven verses and think about it for a few minutes, pray about it in a fairly short period of time. Um, so think about the length of what it is that you're picking. Um, you can meditate. Maybe instead of saying what is everything this passage says about God when it comes to meditation, what could you do? Look for one thing that it says about God. And then in terms of prayer, instead of listing off everything that you've ever thought of in the Bible, you can, you can, um, you can focus on that one thing that you saw in the short passage that you looked at. But, he says, if time, uh, if, and if time is really tight, like something comes up, maybe someone is sick or whatever else, and you literally have like 30 seconds before you run out the door, what at the very least can you do? Yeah, you can pray, right? Because um, the reality is, although it's not ideal because there's a lot of distractions, if you're, you can be doing a little bit of meditation on God's Word, right? Um, you can be turning it over in your mind and even doing a little bit of memorization as long as it's not distracting you from paying attention to the road and all that sort of thing. But um, I do think we do see a biblical pattern of, at the very least, a consistent example of prayer.
We should strive that those things are not the minimum of what we do. Um, we'll get into that in number five. So I'll, I'll skip over it here. And he said, in the crazy days when we feel, often we feel most dependent, our sense of weakness is good for God showing his strength. Um, then he says, look for God's provision through others. He says, the means of grace aren't simply personal, they're profoundly corporate. Don't neglect the power of fellowship as a means of God's grace. And so this is where, if number three is focused more on the habits of grace you do more on your own, number four is focused more on, so then how does that connect with the rest of the church body? So, let's say that you're having a really busy day. What can you do to receive the spiritual insight, encouragement, and so forth that you need or that others might need? Or for that matter, if it's not a busy day, how do you, what can you do to connect other people with God's truth? Okay, call somebody on the phone. What else? Email, text. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, so look for those opportunities. Um, and so, what, what, what are some of the different opportunities that you might have to encourage or be encouraged in fellowship with other Christians? Either. Like just during the week. Okay. 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 Good. So what, what sorts of things should we talk with people about in those times or even in the unscheduled times, the phone calls, the texts, the whatever? Okay. Good. Maybe you're struggling with temptation. You can ask someone to pray for you. I mean, again, I think we've got to be wise about this. Um, if you feel like you're struggling with greed, for example, I don't think you need to go into every last detail in such a way that's going to encourage the other person to be greedy along with you, right? But you can say, hey, I'm really struggling, and I feel like I'm being greedy, and will you pray for me that God will help me not to do that? Or you see someone else that you think is struggling, and you say, hey, how's it going with this thing today? So those are more like confession of sin kinds of things. Um, if we think about the other categories that he used in connection with prayer, uh, the adoration aspect, how can we tie into the adoration aspect of worshiping God in what we say to others or from them to us? Yeah. Think about the price of preparing books. Yeah.
Okay. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So let's pause there for a second. What's the difference between you having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with your husband or wife and the two of you sitting on the couch watching TV together? One's being in the same spot, and the other is actually a kind of, you know, fellowship, assuming you're both believers, right? And so the same kind of thing can be true of church. Sometimes we think fellowship happens because we're all in the same building. Fellowship actually happens when we're having conversations about God. So here's a thing that's true about God that's amazing. Here's a thing that's true about sin that we need to deal with. Here's something that God has done that we can thank Him for. Here's something that we want um, God to do in the life of our church or for ourselves individually. That's something we're asking Him for. So when it comes to those categories of prayer, we could talk about any one of those things with someone and that would be a kind of fellowship, right? Um, let me see, there was something else that I was thinking of here and what he was saying. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes... Um, so there's the tension, because we said earlier in the chapter, if you're not spending time with God, it's going to be more difficult for you to encourage other people well. But if there's a recognition of both of you, start to talk about God a little bit, and you both realize, you know what, this conversation isn't going any further because both of us need to go think about this more, that can then drive you back to pick up that, that spiritual discipline the next time that you have a break, or something along those lines. So... Um, Think of fellowship not just as being in the same place as someone, but as spiritual conversation, whether it be talking about Scripture, praying together. I mean, for that matter, you could sit there and sing a hymn together, you know. Um, it seems maybe less common to us, but it wouldn't be wrong, right? Um, the, the last point here, I think, kind of corrects some of the tendencies in number three. I think... For most of us, the temptation is, I'm busy, so let me cut this short, right? So number five, he says, evaluate later what you might learn for next time. So you, you get up and the day is crazy. Ask yourself, why was the day crazy? What contributes to your crazy mornings? If you stayed up too late to watch a movie needlessly, the lesson may simply be, don't do that, right? So... Um, I think you probably found, any of you who've ever had a TV, that if you spent an hour or two hours watching the news or a movie versus spending an hour or two in fellowship or looking at God's Word or those sorts of things, which one do you tend to regret when it's over and done with? Right? Now, it's not always an either-or. Some days you have sufficient time to do both of those things to the glory of God, but I think probably less days than we think we do, right? So there is a tendency, because it's just a popular thing in our culture, to say, you know what? I can watch an entire season of a show on Netflix, so I'm just going to sit down and do that without thinking about what, what sort of spiritual fruit do we tend to lack when we're doing that sort of thing? Discipline, self-control, something along those lines, right? Okay, yeah. So, I don't think that we can say absolutely it's sinful if you have a TV in your house or if you have access to a subscription service to watch some sort of show or something on your phone. Because the reality is TV is easy to pick on, right? But we could also pick on books, listening to music, 
any sort of activity that occupies large chunks of time. The question that we ought to ask ourselves is, coming back to, I don't know if it was last week, maybe a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this idea of priorities, right? I think it was last week. If we have certain things we know that we must do in a given day, and we neglect those things for the things that we would like to do because we think they're fun, we're not serving God well with our time. So, um, I think that we have to acknowledge the often uncomfortable truth that the reason that we don't always get done what we ought to get done spiritually and in the service of God is because we put things that really aren't all that important and sometimes are even wrong ahead of what God wants us to do. And I'm not just preaching at you here, right? This is something that I struggle with too. There are many things in this world that are fascinating and intriguing. We do not have sufficient time to barely even scratch the surface of all of them. So to assume that we can exhaustively know or explore all of those things, I like to learn about new things, but the reality is I'm never going to be an expert in every single thing that catches my interest. And neither will you. So, at some point we can say, you know what, this is really fascinating, but I've got to set it aside, or I've got to do this thing first, because that's the thing that God really wants me to do, you know? Um, for kids, when it comes to something like playing video games or achieving some other particular goal that's not really a... Uh, it's not really a goal that has any connection with reality. What I mean by that is, you go to play a video game, and you might have the top score for that round. So where do you go from there? You have the top score for two rounds? You have the top score for a week? There's always someone whose life is less disciplined than yours who can spend more time on it and is eventually going to be by sheer number of hours poured into that. Are you going to be better off if you're the top score holder in a video game for a week, for a year, for two years? No. Um, yeah, but I mean, the, the, the tricky thing about that, it, there are a lot of parallels between that and other things that we would call addictions. We can choose to control most of those things. Sometimes when the habit gets really ingrained in us, it becomes very difficult, right? But particularly in the early stages, if we see what it is that we're getting involved with and we say, you know what, I can't do this. Um, the same thing when it comes to, um, this is probably the thing where I've observed it, when it comes to something like a particular hobby, right? There's always someone that's going to sink more time and money into that hobby than you are, right? Whatever it is, flying model airplanes, collecting the biggest collection of tools in your garage. There's always somebody who has a bigger garage, a bigger budget, whatever else. It's a pride thing, usually, right? So we got to watch that it doesn't become a source of idolatry in our life like it is for the lost people that we encounter who pursue those particular things. Um, so when it comes to thinking about the lessons that we might learn, he says this, he acknowledges this. Sometimes there's nothing to learn. This is just life at this age. 
So like when you have small kids and things are just constantly busy because you have small kids, do, would you agree that sometimes that's just kind of how life is? Yeah. Or um, maybe for some of you who are on the other end of things and you have uh, an aging parent or grandparent that you're caring for in some way, sometimes there's just the reality those needs keep coming one after the other and it's not going to be normal from the perspective of other people for a good stretch of your life. What's the reality that we can still do despite those things? No matter what God brings into our lives, we still can obey Him and honor Him and, and accomplish the things that we're supposed to accomplish as Christians. They may be a lot harder if your time is very cramped, but they're still achievable by God's grace. Yeah, Bob. I think a lot of times, too, it's about having to Okay. So along those lines, I had to get some work done on my car, and so I was sitting there for two hours, and I was able to write the Sunday morning message and a good chunk of that. So, you know, I mean, if you take if you take your Bible, your phone, whatever, if you take a notebook with you, you you've got a lot of options of what you can do. And admittedly, yeah, it's distracting when it's, you know, HGTV and super loud and whatever, like right there in front of you. But... With enough practice, you can tend to tune some of those things out and focus on what you got to do. So, yeah, I think the contingency plan idea is important. And, and the reality is, too, like, if you have small kids, you just get in the habit of realizing everything's going to take longer, and it shouldn't keep surprising you day after day, right? Kelly's smiling at me because this was something that I struggled with when we first had little kids. Like, I was like, all right, so we're going to get, we're going we're gonna to go somewhere. And, like, five minutes before we're going to go, we're going to all go put our shoes on, and we're going to be in the car, and we're going to go. And then we're going to go three places. And the reality is with little kids, you probably need a half hour to find the shoes, and everyone has to go to the bathroom, and all those other sort of things. And then you're not going to probably go five places. It's probably going to be like two, and then they're hungry or whatever else, you know. Maybe you're hungry and want to go home. I don't know. It depends. Um, and whatever other stage you're talking about of life. My point is simply, it's not like we don't know what's going on, right? We, 
we kind of get used to how things are, so then we start to plan around it to make these things feasible. So, um, uh, last question here, just kind of a review question, and I want to wrap up the last eight, ten minutes with this. What lessons have you learned or changes have you made as a result of this study? So, most of it's not necessarily new information, right? A lot of it's things that we've heard before. But if we're just doing a class and it doesn't affect what we do, then we might as well not have done the class, right? So, what has changed in light of what we've talked about? Or what do you think maybe you need to change in light of what we've talked about? Yeah. Good. Anybody else? Evan? Anybody else? Any other things that you found helpful as we've talked about some of these ideas? Okay. Okay. Wait, can you explain? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. What else? Any other thoughts? I would say this too. I, you know, in retrospect, probably would have been better if I had said this at the beginning. But if any of you don't have this book and are interested in this book, then talk to me, and I'd be more than happy for us to order a batch of them from the church and figure out what's a reasonable cost and get them to you. So, because um, I think there's some, it's not a perfect book. No book written by humans other than the Bible is perfect, right? But I do think that there's a lot of practical, the chapters are short, there's a lot of things that would be good to come back 
and review periodically and just think through what is it that God can do in our lives to help us to draw closer to Him. And um, along those lines, I just wanted to point out something interesting that occurred to me in connection with something I was reading this week. So Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Apostles' teaching is what? God's Word. Fellowship, what we were talking about in the third section of the book. Breaking of bread is either regular communion or the Lord's table, probably the Lord's table. And then the last thing is prayer. So in that verse, we see all three of the things that he's emphasized are important spiritual disciplines, and that begins to characterize the life of the church from almost the first moment that it's formed. And so... uh, so in case we ever say, well, but, but I don't know if these things are actually things we're supposed to do according to the Bible, we do have that pattern of the early church doing them set out before us, I think, as a, as a motivation for us to do these sorts of things. And let me just read 43 to 47. Based on those things, or accompanying those things, depending on how you want to take it, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's been different emphases at points in the church history when people are like, we need revival, or we need the church just to have a, a sense of unity, or all of those sorts of things. But I think this passage sets out for us the example that those things probably happen more effectively when the things that this book is talking about are, are realities in our lives. When we're focused on word, prayer, and fellowship, Unity, evangelism, amazement at God, um, caring for one another's needs, all of those sorts of things sort of naturally flow out of those. So just wanted to close and, and remind you of that. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity of considering how we might draw closer to you, the structures you've built in to our lives in your church for us to draw closer to you. Help us to take advantage of those not to neglect them, to be disciplined and sober, faithful followers of you in a world that flings itself at anything and everything that's a temporary desire. Help us to see the long-term goals, to be committed to following you faithfully. Give us the strength and the grace to receive your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.